Today on CityCast Boise, time to get out the cake plates and the balloons. We're celebrating a big birthday. The Sawtooth National Recreation Area is 50. The craggy cliffs, the clear blue alpine lakes, this public land icon draws so many visitors from Boise each summer. But Boise State Public Radio reporter Rachel Cohen is here to remind us that if we don't do the work, the Sawtooths could look a lot different at age 100. It's Tuesday, August 30th, 2022. I'm Frankie Barnhill, and this is CityCast Boise. Rachel, it's so good to chat with you about this big anniversary, this important uh, anniversary of the Sawtooth National Recreation Area, which is 50 years old this month. So thanks for coming on CityCast Boise to talk to us about it. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a lot of fun to report on this. Yeah. And you know, I think one of the things that comes across in some of your stories, and just when I think about the Sawtooths is, I think anybody who's been to the Sawtooths has like a visceral memory of it because it's that, it's just breathtaking, you know? sitting beside a campfire along a creek, looking at the dark skies and seeing this insanely beautiful, bright blanket of stars, Redfish Lake uh, hanging out at the shores. Um, And that's the thing is, you know, we're going to talk about how we got here and how it became what it is today. But I think having those moments of reflection of really realizing like this place means so much to so many different people and how valuable that is. And that, it's really our place in Idaho when you think of like a postcard of how beautiful this place is. That's one of the things that comes to mind. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of people could remember the first time that they visited uh, the SNRA, um, you know, whether it was Redfish Lake or went on <laughs> their longest hike that they've ever been on, you know. And when I first came to Idaho, I didn't really know this place existed here. And it was the first summer I was living here and people were asking me, have you been to Stanley? Like, You need to go to Stanley. And so I looked it up and I was like, okay, I'll go. And um, my partner and I went on a hike to Sawtooth Lake. And it was one of those years where in late June, um, the lake was still completely covered in snow and, Mm. you know, frozen over. And it was just beautiful. And um, it was just a day hike, but it made us want to go back all the time. Um, And that was actually uh, his birthday weekend. And every year since, he requested that exact adventure. Like, (laughs) So we've done it every year, the same weekend, essentially. Oh, I love that. I love that. And, you know, uh, when I first went there, I was kind of, I'm from Montana. And so I've seen beautiful mountains my whole life. I know that Idaho is beautiful mountains, of course. um, But there is something about just the craggy uh, nature of the Sawtooths and just how outstanding they are in the skyline that really does make them stand apart from a lot of other mountain ranges. Um, So, you know, that visual, like I'll always have it in my mind the first time I saw it and saw those peaks. So, okay. So, so everybody's got this connection, but why, why do we have this connection? Because 
this place has been protected for 50 years and it didn't happen without a lot of effort. Tell me a little bit about the difference between though a recreation area, which is what it is, Sawtooth National Recreation Area, and a national park, because I learned through your reporting that it could have been Sawtooth National Park, perhaps, if things had gone differently. So what's the difference and why did we end up with a recreation area? So we ended up with a recreation area essentially because over time it became clear that some Idahoans, including some powerful groups, industry groups here like um, ranchers and loggers and uh, miners did not want a national park. And so even though that was something some groups had wanted, uh, you know, dating back to 1911 or so, um, it just wasn't really in the cards politically. And so the National Recreation Area was kind of on both sides of the debate, like the next best option. So for Hmm. people that wanted a national park, it was a way to protect this area to some extent. And for people that really did not want a national park because they didn't want to deal with all the regulations and prohibitions that that comes with, the national recreation area was kind of a way to put an end to that movement to get a national park here. So it's kind of a compromise and people have described it to me as somewhere in between a regular forest and a national park. But, Hmm. you know, something that is interesting is that there are other national recreation areas in the U.S., like Hell's Canyon is a national recreation area, but each one is really unique and dependent on kind of the exact rules and the law that sets it up. So it's kind of hard to compare to other uh, national recreation areas. Interesting. And it... uh the local control of the place, like there's still a lot of local influence on what SNRA, what the Sawtooths are and what they will be in the future, as opposed to a federal uh, national park that has specific federal rules and regulations that are set, yeah, by the federal government. Yeah, exactly. So um, there's a a specific law that tells the Forest Service, in this case, what values to protect. Um, And, you know, we think of recreation as being the top value because it's in the title. Um, (laughs) And obviously how most people experience the area. But in fact, because this place happens to be really important for salmon, uh, salmon were included as some people interpret it as the top priority for this area. And that's really unique to the Sawtooths. Do you think there's any interest now in it becoming a national park? Um, you know, when I was first talking to uh, Ed Kennedy, who is a backcountry recreation manager in the SNRA for a long time, um, he kind of posed the question himself about whether it was a mistake that the national park was not the option that they went with in the 70s. But then I kind of posed that question back on him (laughs) a few months (laughs) later. And even though he was willing to wonder, you know, what would a national park look like here? Would it mean more protections for wildlife would it mean um, maybe even more resources to deal with the growing number of people that want to experience this place? Even thinking about those things, you know, it's hard to actually make the leap to <laughs> this should be a national park today. Um, just hmm. because, you know, people like him have the idea that 
it, it has worked pretty well, especially if you evaluate it according to some of the things that it set out to do. And so his, you know, his example of that is you can look at the valley from above at Galena Summit, which is how you enter the SNRA from the Wood River Valley side. And it looks pretty similar to how it did in 1972, especially from that bird's eye viewpoint. And that's one measure of of success to a lot of people. Uh, So I personally haven't heard of environmental organizations, for example, pushing a national park today, but I have heard people point out, you know, the reason why this is happening here or the reason why this place is distinct. A lot of it does date back to the fact that the national recreation area was the option that uh, we went with. Yeah. And that still has a legacy today. Yeah, kind of set our set our fate with the SNRA and what it what it is today it sounds like. Um but I guess what do you see in the next 50 years? If if uh the folks you talked with say it looks about the same as it did in 1972, are we going to be able to say the same thing in another 50 years? Are there threats that could because it's a recreation area and not a national park that could uh really challenge what what it looks like today? Yeah, there definitely are threats that people talk about when thinking about the next 50 years. So you have like the high peaks. And when the SNRA was created, the Sawtooth Mountains were designated as a wilderness area. Um, And that's one of the highest or if not the highest level of protection granted by Congress. And then in 2015, the Boulder and White Cloud Mountains joined that designation. Right. Yep. And so Though those areas have strong protections against things like mining, even motorized vehicles, there are things that pose challenges to that. You know, can you still find, quote unquote, solitude in the sawtooths? Um, <laughs> in some of the more crowded areas, you might need to work a bit harder or walk a bit farther. Um, and then, you know, there are things like climate change and wildfires that pose a risk to those places, too. And then I think the second part of this puzzle is the low-lying areas, so the valley and some of the big lakes like Redfish Lake. And the way those were protected, or at least one of the big ways, were private land regulations and conservation easements. And again, like I said, the valley from a high view looks pretty similar to how it did in 1972. Um, But there are some people who are concerned about growing development pressure. You know, the people who can afford to buy property in this place are generally pretty wealthy. Um, sure. And yep. a lot of the, a lot of those people know what they're getting into when they buy in the SRA. You know, they appreciate the fact that the land is protected under a conservation easement, but that's not always the case. And sometimes people can interpret those rules that were written in, you know, the 70s or early 80s differently. And so there's some concern there and uncertainty about what can happen, particularly in the Sawtooth Valley, largely because some of those private land regulations are, according to some folks, somewhat weak or somewhat vague or just were written decades ago. So I think that's one area um, of future challenges and, according to some people, uh, future concern. Hmm, Yeah. Well, you mentioned this. Of course, it's getting uh, really busy these days. Um, if you go onto any any trail and you've lived uh, in Idaho or in Boise and you go and visit the SNRA for any period of time the last couple decades, um, it's definitely gotten busier. We know 
around COVID. A lot of people were uh, packing into Stanley and um, we heard about crowds and continue to hear about them. Is it becoming too popular for its own good? Like what can people do to enjoy it while also not like trashing it and, you know, taking up too much, uh, too much space on those trails and crowding it? Yeah, I mean, this is something that has come up as well. You know, people ask the question, are we loving it to death? And um, I think some others would push back on that idea just because the Forest Service generally is excited about people coming to access this place and experiencing the outdoors and um, even getting groups that historically might not have had access to the outdoors as much is important. But of course, there are, you know, during the pandemic, for example, there were just pretty much more people visiting there than had ever visited in, in like one summer. Right. Um, and so I think probably the best way to, you know, on a personal level yeah. is like just following the regulations and, you know, the Forest Service limited camping in, in some spots to 10 days. And so making sure you're following the, those uh, guidelines and the leave no trace principles as well, you know, carrying your stuff out. Yeah. I think that's all the more important in this place because there are a lot of people and there's not always the resources um, in terms of trail maintenance or, you know, visiting all the facilities to to maintain it. And so it does put a little bit of onus on the individual. Yeah, as as Idaho often does. <laughs> well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Rachel, and telling us about the SNRA. We'll link to, to all of your great stories on this uh, recreation area. I hope you uh, are going to get to go up there one more time, at least before uh, the snows fall. <laughs> I hope so, too. Thanks, Frankie. Before you go, a word about the number one thing I'm thinking about these days, this godforsaken triple-digit heat. We've already smashed through the previous record of 100-plus days, and we're on track to have the hottest August ever. Early September isn't looking much better. One thing you can do? Keep water bottles handy for your unhoused neighbors who are extra vulnerable in this heat. Thanks for listening to CityCast Boise. Hey, and guess what? We're growing. We're looking for a full-time podcast host to be our chief curiosity officer. Love talking with your neighbors and have lots to say about our city? Come work with us. We'll put a link with more info in the show notes. Until Thursday, stay cool, Boise. Boise.